Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. Welcome everyone to Sports Spectrum. I'm Jason Romano. Great to have you joining us today on the show. Today's guest is Steve Merriman, Hartford Yard Goats pitching coach. The Yard Goats are the AA minor league affiliate of the Colorado Rockies. So Steve's here in Hartford. I'm in Bristol, Connecticut. So we were able to connect in person, got an opportunity to meet him a couple months ago, had breakfast, and hear his story. And Steve has lived quite the baseball journey, having gone through different stops in college, the minor leagues, and the major leagues since 1995. Last year, he was the assistant minor league pitching coordinator with the Chicago Cubs. He's also had stints with the Arizona Diamondbacks, the New York Mets, and the Colorado Rockies. He's also been a coach with the University of Michigan and the Wolverines in college. And as I got to know Steve, and certainly his baseball journey is crazy to say the least, going from different places year to year, and we talk about that in the beginning of the podcast, but then he shared the story of his dad and the daddy wound that exists with so many of us in our lives. And his dad basically got up and left his family, left his church. His dad was a minister and even came to the point where he kidnapped Steve and his two brothers at one point in their journey and then just disappeared for years and years. And I've shared my story a little bit here on this podcast with my dad and I've dealt with bitterness and I've dealt with anger. When I talk to Steve Merriman here on the show, I don't sense one bit that this guy has any bitterness, any anger, any kind of animosity towards his father that wasn't there for him. In fact, Steve exudes grace and mercy and forgiveness. I was so encouraged in talking to him on the podcast, and I know you will be too. Take a listen to Steve Merriman, pitching coach for the Hartford Yard Goats here on Sports Spectrum's podcast. Steve, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Really excited to talk to you. Glad you're here. Glad we get to do this in person. And uh, we're in Hartford, Connecticut right now at Dunkin' Donuts Park, where the Yard Goats play. So this is the first podcast we've ever done uh, at a baseball field, which is really cool. We're in one of the suites, kind of looking out at the field right now as it's being manicured on a Friday morning before a game. And this has got to be fun for you, I would presume. You've been doing this for a long time, and it's I remember later in my years at ESPN and thinking, uh, you know, this doesn't get old. Look what I still get to do and come to do every day. Is that kind of how you approach your job every day still? You're a pitching coach for the Yard Goats, but yet this is pretty cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Wake up every morning, kind of smile, despite whatever the night before was like in a game. But um, to get to work in this kind of an environment, um, it's a tremendous facility. It's probably one of the best minor league facilities um, that you know I've seen and I've seen a lot of them yeah um, but I have access to everything I want and need and um, so yeah it's easy to come in and, and have a have a pretty uh, you know open opportunity to do what you need to do now, this is your first year 2019 here in Hartford and we were just talking beforehand you mentioned the facilities and 
listen, most minor league parks are are nice and they're very quaint and kind of cozy. But you come to Dunkin' Donuts Park, and I know your bosses are going to be happy about this, but you come to Dunkin' Donuts Park, and this is one heck of a facility. But from a pitching coach perspective, how does it make your job easier to have sort of the comforts and the and, and, and the modern technology and a lot of things that a place like Dunkin' Donuts Donuts Park has that maybe some of the other older parks don't have. Yeah, what it really does is it helps to shorten the amount of time that you have to spend prior to doing things because there's uh, there's not much setup for me. Cameras are already around the ballpark. We yeah. have a, a full time uh, media. Uh, and video person that handles a lot of uh, getting specifically what I want. So on any given night, I can say, hey, I'd like to see particular pitchers, uh, sliders uh, in the third inning. Mm -hmm. And I will have that on my computer within a matter of an hour or so. Um, when I'm in the bullpen working, uh, as, as you know, I got to show you the tour, I have, yeah. I have access to uh, utilizing whatever technology we have available and whatever it takes to help develop that particular player. It, it's right there at your fingertips. So it makes that time much quicker for you to develop them and work with them. I wish every fan could get a chance to see behind the scenes what it's like to live a baseball life because even as beautiful as this place is, it's not this amazingly glamorous lifestyle. It is a grind. You've been doing this for a long time. Yeah. Can you kind of give us a glimpse? Uh, let's go back a little bit, I guess, and, and tell us your baseball journey and kind of where it got started, because I do want to talk about the lifestyle that you've lived these last few years, because it's an interesting one for sure. from a baseball coaching perspective. But give us a glimpse going back on where that baseball journey started. Yeah, well, um, growing up in Michigan, um, and for the most part, growing up in Michigan, um, you know, the opportunity to play um, college baseball was was there, and I was given an opportunity um, by uh, Dean Creener, who was my head coach at Central Michigan University, uh, to come and play at Central Michigan University. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom Tresh mm -hmm. was our hitting coach, yeah. who was Rookie of the Year um, for the Yankees. Um, back in the 60s. And so I had an opportunity to learn from uh, those two guys. Uh, and that's really kind of where my journey started in baseball. I uh, graduated with a teaching degree and planned to be a high school teacher and social studies, you know, uh, in social studies and then, and then coach. Um, but uh, that plan got changed, um, you know, and uh, I ended up going into uh, college coaching kind of to start with. And um, from there, multiple things happened along the way where I got an opportunity to um, uh, attend Major League Baseball Scout School, mm. sponsored by the Colorado Rockies way back then. Ironically, um, yeah. Which is what it took. You had to be sponsored by a Major League organization. The Major League uh, Scouting Bureau doesn't exist anymore, but that's who set up the Scout School. Mm. And... Um, I, at that time, when I attended that, uh, it was the largest scout school that had uh, happened. There were over 60 people that were in attendance. 
um, former players, major league players, uh, executives, and so on. So uh, I did very well in in that, but that's because of my background in college, having recruited and knowing what to look for with players, um, helped me through that whole uh, two-week course where you're up at seven and you're, you know, in bed by one in the morning and that was that way for two weeks so and then uh, from that I got hired uh, by the New York Mets Uh, that's a 2003 and so I had kind of bounced back and forth Um, prior to that um, I had been coaching at the University of Toledo and uh, got an opportunity to uh, go to the Detroit Tigers at the major league level to be the bullpen catcher slash a number of other responsibilities. Buddy Bell was the manager Mm. for the Tigers at that time. That's 1996. And so my first pro opportunity wasn't normal. Um, You know, I didn't start out in rookie ball and go up. I I started out at the major league level. And, you know, from 1996 through halfway of the 1999 season, I was with the Detroit Tigers at the major league level. How cool is that? Because you grew up in Michigan. We were talking beforehand about uh, being a fan of certainly the Tigers being right there and watching the Cubs as well uh, on WGN. They were sort of a national team being on a national channel. But how cool is that to end up in Detroit of all places? Because you could end up in 30 other cities and you end up right in your backyard in a lot of ways. Well, the story is even more incredible because uh, I was born in 1967 in July. Um, The next year in 1968 is when the Detroit Tigers uh, won a World Series. My mom still, you know, uh, tells me to this day that she's holding me in her arms, jumping up and down, watching Bill Freehand, <laughs> who I had the opportunity to coach with at the University of Michigan. Wow. Um, so, yeah, what a uh, just a tremendous um, circle of things that, um, you know, as we both know, uh, God has a big hand in how that goes. So, yeah, it was incredible to get to be a part of uh, of that whole environment in Detroit. Um, they weren't great teams, yeah. but there were some great guys. I mean, Tony Clark um, is uh, with uh, you know the commissioner's office. Um, Mike Myers was a left-handed pitcher, had a great major league career. He's also a part of uh, the commissioner's office at this point uh, on the player rep side and and. So I got to be around some some great guys uh, and got to learn, obviously, you know, in a great environment. So yeah, I mean, fun. it's pretty interesting, too. I'm looking at your, your baseball journey. I just want to read this. Uh, <laughs> you, you're going to laugh when I read this, but and tell me if I'm wrong on any of this. Okay, sure. Because the internet can be wrong sometimes. Yeah, right. 1995, hitting coach, University of Michigan. Yep. 1996, pitching coach, University of Toledo. 1996 to 99, as you just said, Bullpen catcher and bullpen practice pitcher, Detroit yep. Tigers. Yep. 1999 to 2001, head coach of Macomb, Macomb. Macomb Community College. college. Yeah. 2002, pitching coach, University of Michigan. 2002 to 2004, associate scout, Colorado Rockies. <laughs> 2004, 2006, pitching coach, New York Mets Instructional League. 2007, 2009, pitching coach, Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm doing this now, so I don't have to do it in the intro. <laughs> 2009 to 2011, Midwest Area Scout, Major League Scouting Bureau. Yep. 2012, pitching coach back at University of Michigan. 2013, pitching coach, the Ida- Idaho Falls Chuckers. Yep. yep. 2014, pitching coach, Lexington Legends. And then it fast forward, so I want to ask you what happened in between there. Sure. But 2018, assistant minor league pitching coordinator, Chicago Cubs. Correct. Last year. And then here you are this year with the Hartford Yard Goats. That's a lot. I'm tired just reading all of that. So what what comes to your mind when I just say that? Because that is a baseball journey right there. That is not 
Tom Brady, 2000 to 2019 New England Patriots, and that's it. Oh, this is all over the place. Yeah. Um, in sports, I think what you just read um, is probably a lot more the norm in, in most cases than, than the Tom Brady uh, scenario. Yeah. Right. Um, very rare, especially if you're between the college side and the pro side, that you, you stay in one place for a long time. Um, definitely not the, the journey that I would have mapped out, uh, nor my wife or, <laughs> or, or my family. But, yeah. um, you know, all of those things that I experienced in all of those environments um, prepared me for the very next thing that I had the opportunity to be a part of. Mm. I, I never viewed any of those as a negative. Um, in a lot of the cases, uh, especially in college, the head coach gets let go and assistants aren't kept on staff. That's, that's, that's the norm. Most people understand that. Yeah. Um, and going from being a head coach at a junior college, which was essentially a part-time uh, salary situation, um, also teaching at the same time, um, I got an opportunity to go to go back to the University of Michigan. And I might be the only coach in University of Michigan history to coach there three separate times. Yeah. So again, an, another crazy little piece to a story. But yeah, the, I've learned so many great things in all of those different experiences. And I wouldn't trade those for a second because um I, again i was prepared for something coming next hmm. what happened between 2014 2018 yeah 2014 it's interesting uh the hartford yard goats used to be in new britain yes and i was with the kansas city royals we had just finished a world series steve foster who is our major league pitching coach right now with the colorado rockies he and i have known each other since uh the university of michigan days when he was a coach there um, we've been very good friends since, but um, my father, my stepdad, uh, got a health diagnosis, uh, stage three Huntington's disease diagnosis. The Rockies had actually hired me to go to New Britain to be the double-A pitching coach for 2015 season, and um, it was a time in, in my life where some things become um, right at the forefront uh, in your mind on uh, what should you do making a decision that's a um, what I call big boy decision yeah. um, and it was a time where I needed to reevaluate my perspective in coaching has always been um, you know family's important and you tell I tell these players even at double a how important family is we actually have a picture uh, on our team right now that has um, embroidered, you know, family over everything, mm -hmm. FOE. And I didn't feel that I could stand in front of a group of young men and profess one thing, yet make a decision in a different realm. And so I chose to be home. Um, my family is very important to me, uh, my wife, my kids, my three kids. And so it, it was just a time for me to sort of get connected back again to to my family, be there for my parents, um, and, and also to have uh, my wife uh, be a part of that with them, helping them as well as helping uh, her mom and dad, who are also getting up there in age. But it's, it's a time where you really evaluate the important parts of your life. Mm. Steve Merriman is our guest here on Sports Spectrum's podcast, the Hartford Yard Goats pitching coach for the Colorado Rockies organization. 
Your Twitter handle reads Colossians 110. Mm-hmm. And so I think we'll start with that to lead us into hearing your faith testimony. Obviously, we want to hear testimonies of anybody that we interview and what Christ has done in your life. So sure. share with us a little bit of how God got a hold of you, and, and eventually we'll get to, if you want to share it right away, what that Colossians 110 uh, means to you. Sure, sure. Well, so my biological father um, was a, a minister uh, in the church, uh, the Church of Christ, and um, very conservative, very closely uh, linked to Southern Baptist sort of uh, dogma. But um, And right at about the time that I was turning 11 years old, um, my father left our family. Mm. Um, left the church and and just was absent from our family for two years. Did not get to see him. Didn't get to um, interact with him. Uh, so, as an eleven year old who had two younger sibling brothers, um, some things were thrust on me at an early age for maturity and uh, helping to navigate life. Sometimes, yeah. um, and so. I realized at that point that, that, that you know, I was going to have to sort of step up to do a few more things. And you can say, really, at 11? Yeah, and, and turning 12, becoming a father to both my younger brothers, and then, you know, trying to be a support system for uh, a mom who is now a single mom. Yeah. And uh, it became a grow-up fast type of an approach. And so Colossians 1.10, um, you know, the verse talks about to, to live a life in a worthy manner where you continue to grow in the knowledge and are of the right character um, so that uh, you can help others to come to know who Christ is. That was, uh, you know, where <laughs> I found myself as a as a uh, teenager, um, and so that began that just began a journey that's that's you know I think had a major impact on how I coach, um, what I do, who I'm around, and that sort of thing. So, tell me about that daddy wound. Uh, we can relate. I think it's one of the ways that we connected actually mm-hmm. originally on Twitter, and certainly with my story, you and I have both shared over a couple breakfasts, a little bit about each of our sort of journeys. What was that like uh, from a, you you mentioned a little bit about having to grow up quick, about having to become in essence a dad to your younger brothers, but just for you growing and maturing and not having that guy be there for you, especially a sports guy, a coach, you know, kind of like myself, I wanted somebody to be there now that I think back to tell me right from wrong, to gear me, to direct me, to show me. And unfortunately, it had to be other people, including my mom, but other people in my life that directed me in that right direction. Tell me about that with you. Sure. Um, Yeah, it was a situation where you go through the initial questions in your own mind of, okay, what did I do wrong and what happened or what do I need to do differently or, you know, that sort of thing. I didn't have much time to, to, to... dwell in that or to think about that. Um, it was more of, I have two younger brothers who don't understand and, and, uh, and a mom who, as 
perplexed as we were. She was probably 10 times more so. Um, But it became uh, something that over the next couple of years, you you just get lost into the day-to-day tasks of what have to go on. You, you have to make sure that brothers are doing what they're supposed to do and getting where they need to to help mom who's working two jobs, um, all of those kinds of things. Um, two years, a little more than two years later, and I, I think I shared this with you when we talked at breakfast the first time, um, I'm, I'm on the bus headed to, to middle school, and I can still, to this day, see the picture. My dad is standing on the street corner as the bus pulled up to stop to drop my two younger brothers off to go to the elementary school that we were attending. And there's my dad, who we haven't seen in a little over two years. Hmm. So I actually remember telling the bus driver to stop. That's my dad. we gotta, we got to get off to see him. And um, my dad, um, you know, kidnapped us and took us to Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, we were living uh, in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And um, my dad took us to, to Detroit, which is where the family was, our grandparents. And so all of a sudden, you're thrust back into this, you know, normalcy that you had remembered that you thought, oh, it's all going to come back again. It's all going to get back to the way it was. And it was a pretty tumultuous couple of years <laughs> over, over that time frame. And, and it, in fact, um, probably a little over a year and a half later, my dad came back for a second time to, to take us again. And I chose, I, I said again, the maturity part of me said, look, you take my two younger brothers who need to do that. I'll stay with mom because that will help mom. And I had viewed things from a how do you solve this and fix this for everybody um, kind of a perspective. So I, I stayed and my two younger brothers went with my dad a second time. I look at it as my dad's efforts to try to come back into our lives but did not know how to do that um, in the right way. Today, if that would happen, I mean, we know what legally <laughs> all oh, the yeah. different things that would go on, but Absolutely. it really wasn't the time. So, but I, I think I learned my empathy uh, grew not just for, for my mom and for my two brothers, but it, it also grew for my father because I, I think I realized at probably 14, almost turning 15, that here's a man that, that didn't, didn't know how to go about loving the right way or to um, make a mistake in life and be able to um, respond to that in a, in a healthy way to, uh, to be what he needed to be or wanted to be, which obviously growing up, he knew. I mean, he, he well-versed in, in the Bible, obviously, as a, as a preacher and, and pastor. Minister. So yeah. he, you know, he knew. Um, he just didn't know how. He knew there's a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and then that relationship, you know, I think got to a point where my dad wasn't able to, um, to deal with how new normal was going to be. And basically just up and left our family. I remember being a, a senior in high school and him showing up one day at high school to see me um, which, you know, had been so infrequent to begin with. And, um, that was the last time until I was coaching with the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, many, many years later, mm-hmm. uh, to get to see him again. But I think that's kind of how it went for me as, as I look back and think back on it. 
So I want to go a little deeper on a couple of these things. First of all, you mentioned the word kidnapped, which is <laughs> when you hear that, I mean, you think yeah. of like a, a movie like Taken or something and somebody's kidnapped. Mm. Was it that way or like against your will or was it more of, come on, kids, and you're young and you're little, so you don't know any difference. And was so when that younger moment takes place, you mentioned the word kidnapped. So that was what it was? Yeah. I, you know, I, I've often thought back to that and thinking about how it would happen, but you, there's something inside of you that knew that what you were going to do wasn't right. And I remember having, um, conversations, trying to ask the question about why, where have you been? What's happened? I mean, you're, you're dealing with a lot of different emotions at that point when you see your dad for the first time in two years and you say, what, Wait, where where have you been? What happened? Why? And hearing his explanation or his side of things and then realizing, wait, we're leaving and we're not coming back. I remember asking that question. Wait, are we not coming back to see mom? And and so it it wasn't that you didn't say I don't want to go, but there was that something inside of you that said, wait, this isn't this isn't right. Or how do we go about dealing with this? And um it, it it would be defined, I think, that way by any stretch or, or anyone. I mean, yeah. so, yeah. Bitterness, anger, resentment, all those kind of buzzwords, keywords that you hear over people who've lost someone or had someone hurt them. Did you experience all that, especially as you got older? I want to get to the point when you re- yeah. reconnected with him in Arizona, yeah. but in that middle time, are you yeah. just moved on and this is kind of how you are? Is there some you know, some unresolved anger that's going on there? You know, I've often asked myself that question. In fact, uh, I've had people ask me along the way, um, even prior to me, you know, getting married, if, if um, you know, I had those kinds of feelings toward my dad. Um, I think what I had done for so long, uh, which is most uh, typical for what what we do, we pack things away in a suitcase and we don't deal with it until we absolutely have to. Yep. Um, that's the first thing. But I think through that whole process, my faith grew. Um, I had to own my faith very early. <laughs> um, sure. My mom was a, a rock and is still a rock. Um, f- from a faith standpoint, my stepdad, who really has been my dad, uh, yeah. it, it was a rock as well. But I had to own my faith, and so I. I just feel as if for so long I was able to put some things into a compartment, sort of, and it it kept me from thinking that, well, if I do this or I do that, he's to blame. So it's okay if I do this or I do that. Um, I think what I realized is that loving someone, loving a family, loving your children, loving a spouse, um, loving siblings, whatever, it, it takes a, an amount of... Um, unconditionalness as we know what God gives us, which is what he wants us to be able to see. Um, and I just, I think I felt like I was sorry for him that he couldn't deal with, uh, things in a different way or a better way. And I I never really felt anger. I don't think, I don't think I, I, I would ever lash out and say, it's all your fault. And, and I, I, as much as maybe in the back of my mind, it, 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 was there. I just, I feel sorry that he missed out on, um, not just my experiences and what I've done in baseball or, uh, so far to this point. Um, he doesn't really, even today doesn't know my three kids or his grandchildren. Um, 
And so my two brothers and the things that they've done, he, he doesn't really know them or their lives. And so I, I think about myself, if that were me, I would not, it would be hard for me to not want to be a part of my kids' lives or a part of my family's life. So um, I, I, the anger and resentment, I think all of the things that, I, again, have happened in my personal life have also shaped who, who I am and who God wants me to be um, as a coach, um, as a, as a person, as a husband, as a father. Um, so doesn't mean I'm perfect by, by no, (laughs) by no stretch of the imagination, but those things shape me. And so I, I, I don't have that. Tell me about the time when you reconnected with him. I remember you telling me this story, uh, when we first met and, uh, it was kind of shaking my head just like, wow, it's something out of a movie. Uh, in many ways, all of a sudden you're in Arizona 10 plus years ago or whatever it was. And yeah. suddenly there's the guy that you hadn't seen in years and years. It's your dad. Yeah. I think it was, uh, 2017 or 2018. Oh, more or, I'm sorry, 2007, sorry, 2007 or 2008. Gotcha. When I was with the Diamondbacks as a, as a pitching coach, um, one day at one of our staff members come out to me and say, Hey, uh, how come you didn't put your dad on the pass list? And at that time, we were in Tucson, Arizona, uh, spring training. Yeah. And um, I said, my dad on the pass list, like I didn't, I was perplexed. And he said, yeah, the, your dad's at the security gate and, you know, it's your dad. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, we'll bring him back. And they brought him back on a golf cart. And I was, I was, you know, back in the complex, in the clover, four-leaf clover, uh, one of the field, backfields doing, doing some stuff with pitchers. And um, sure enough, there walks my dad. Uh, hadn't seen him since, you know, would have been 1985. So here wow. it is, you know, 2000 and like I said, seven, 22 or, years or later. <laughs> and, um, there he is. And I, it was just a weird sort of, um, awkward feeling, uh, much like when I was on the bus and <laughs> ran off the school bus, like, oh, there you are again. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I remember giving him a hug and, and asking where he was because he didn't know where he lived, um, didn't know what he was doing. And those quick sort of superficial conversations happened. Um, my son, uh, who at the time is like 11, um, was running around and, um, you know, I got to point out who my son was running around <laughs> because my son was running around to do different things. He wasn't coming to see me talk to some guy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I told him who that was. And then uh, later my son asked me, who was that guy you were talking to? Dad? And I told him. And it, it just it didn't register in his mind because he didn't know who that was and didn't make right. sense to him. But, yeah. And it, it was literally, Jason, probably a seven-minute conversation um, at, at most. And, uh, and then he had to go again and, and he left. You weren't mad. You weren't angry. Like, look at, here you are, dude, showing up 22 years later. Why are you even here? There was none of that, huh? <laughs> no. Just kind I, of shock or whatever. I, I, yeah. More, more shock. But again, like I said, I think over the course of all that time that had passed, it, it just proved my thought process that he didn't know how he didn't know how to, to, uh, be engaged. didn't know how to be a father. Didn't know how to, uh, connected, didn't know how to love, didn't know how to, um, be vulnerable. Yeah. All of those things. I, it, it weird, yeah. you know, it was about the only way I could, I could explain it. And, 
And it was never uh, at enough length where I could just have an open conversation. Right. Seven <laughs> to, minutes to, to say, <laughs> yeah. you know, hey, it's okay that this is where it is or how it is. So, did you get a picture or anything with them? I uh, did, did not. Not even that. I mean, yeah. I did not. Um, wow. Probably because I was since? coaching, I didn't have my phone with me. But Have you seen um, them since? Yeah, this past spring training. Okay. Uh, I'm in Arizona again with the, with the Rockies. And um, a, uh, my uncle uh, reached out to me. Uh, which is my dad's brother, and and said that my dad was um, in Arizona and would like to come and see me. And so um, he and my uncle and my uncle's wife came uh, at the end of a workout one day, and we got to go sit and have dinner and talk a little bit. Uh, He was very quiet, um, didn't say a whole lot, uh, really at all. I mean, I would ask questions, and he would say a little bit, not much. Um, but yeah, so I did get a picture, did get a picture that time. That's good. So it's good. Tell me, tell me about just the idea of, of, I don't know. I just, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes and you're, you have such a, a contentment and joy and there just doesn't seem to have an ounce of bitterness in your body. And I don't know. I, I love my dad. My dad and I are reconciled and, um, but if he just was gone for 22 years and then showed up and then another 10 years, I see him again. I don't know. I, that w- I would have a lot of questions. <laughs> and I guess a lot of the flesh side of me would start eating up inside to want to challenge him a little bit. I just don't get a sense that that has happened with you. Yeah, it, it, it hasn't. It, it, it never has. Um, I think, again, a big part of who I am as a coach um, is about... Uh, trying to be um, available for players, not just in in that regard. And I know that for some people, they may hear that and go, "Well, that that might be." There's a fine line there on on the coaching side, where. <laughs> but in in essence, as a coach, uh, I I think you have to fill a lot of roles um, today in our society. Yeah. Um, you know, and these are tremendous young young men. A lot of them have experienced something very similar to to what I've experienced, um, and you being able to to provide that consistency for them um, and caring about who they are as young men. I mean, I have several players who are married mm-hmm. uh, here on on my pitching staff, and um, f- to be able to interact with them in some ways, sometimes about things other than you know, the baseball is, sure. is a huge component to, to what I have to do as a coach. And so I believe that all of those things I experienced with, with my dad and how that went um, has shaped who I am, how I operate and what I do. I, I've always often told people that in coaching, you may coach 25,000 kids and you may never coach your own. Hmm. But my feeling was that I was going to show those 25,000 kids what it meant to be the right kind of coach, what it meant to be the right kind of uh, husband and and father. And because one day my kids may end up having them as a coach. And and then I knew they would have had the right examples. So Hmm. a couple more questions here with Steve Merriman on the podcast. Uh, And thank you for being here. This is really great to, to talk with you about other things other than baseball. But 
tell me about empathy, that word. I've been asking a lot of people about that word empathy because I think that's a game changer in society. I think it's a game changer uh, for people of faith, for Christians, when we start to see things from another person's point of view or through that Christ-like lens. Tell me what empathy has meant to you. Certainly what you just shared with your dad is the perfect definition of empathy, in my opinion, but how you've kind of carried that with you through not only being a dad to your own kids, being a husband, but also to the players that you coach. Yeah, it it reminds me of, um, you know, a time when Jesus was talking and teaching um, and he had said, if someone asks you to go a mile, don't go just one, but go another mile. If a man asks you for uh, your shirt, don't give him just your shirt, but give him your coat. Mm-hmm. It That, to me, is, uh, is what empathy is, to have a, uh, an ability to, to go beyond just maybe what is just enough um, and to, to give more, to understand where someone is in their, in their life uh, in a deeper way. Um, I, that... I'm not perfect at that by any means in, in, in all cases and forms. I'm still, uh, you know, human and, and, and have many, you know, faults and, sure. and all that. But I think for me, in an, in an empathetic uh, individual has an ability to, to think so much deeper than just what they see on the surface. We can be very much fooled by what we see on the surface with some things. We might think one thing, and, and yet it's so much more in a different direction. But having an ability to, to dive deeper and to dig deeper, not necessarily with that person, but to see it and to, to think maybe a, a little bit more down a road where you can truly put yourself in that person's position and understand where they are. I think that's, that to me is what helped me not have such regrettable feelings about, um, my father. Mm. Um, it, 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 I just saw an inability to, to do things. And it's sad when we see people not able to do something that we think, they should be able to. I know as a coach, when I watch players that have a lot of talent, I say, man, this guy should be able to do this, this, and this, right. you know? Yeah. And I start trying to connect the dots for him a little bit, you know, certainly in my mind first. Um, but, but where I've learned is that you, you can see it, but you, you have to be able to help them to see it. And, and then if you understand it, then it gives you a better perspective. Tell me what faith is like uh, for you now as a minor league baseball coach, certainly traveling all across the country uh, in all the different jobs that you've been blessed to do. But what does it look like? Let's just take this year, I guess, with Hartford. How do you stay fed in your faith? Uh, What's baseball chapel look like on the minor league level? I think a lot of people don't know uh, what that looks like. I'm assuming it's very close to the major league level and a similar sort of structure. But what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. Very much so. Baseball chapel, um, uh, is here every Sunday at home and on the road for players. Um, the, uh, the guys that run Baseball Chapel in those various cities uh, will typically come in and uh, talk to the manager about what a good time would be to have chapel. We typically have chapel um, in the dugout um, mm-hmm. wherever we are. It's in the in the major leagues. It happens typically in a room that's that's a you know available in the stadium somewhere, but. Every Sunday as well, um, 
I, I stay fed by getting uh, different emails sent to me. Um, I read a lot. Um, you know, Mark Batterson is a, is a writer that I, that I've read a lot of his books. Uh, Andy Andrews is, a, is another guy that I have uh, been fed from. Um, I just read his newest book, by the way. Andy <laughs> I've Andrews. heard it's great. It's yeah. At the bottom of the pool. I bottom think. of the pool. It's Correct. Amazing. Yeah. Great book. Yeah. And, um, you know, so a number of different people, uh, Max Licato is another writer that, that, that I've, I've read from. And so, um, you you have to do that in order to stay fed. I could get lost in my job. Um, I know as a very young coach, it was, uh, you know, 24-7 um, trying to make players better, wanting to make players better. Um, got lost sometimes in, in that. Um, so you're working 12, 14, 16 hours a day. You're supposed to be going to sleep to get four <laughs> or five hours, but you're, you're reviewing something that, that yeah. you know you need for tomorrow. But, um, yeah, that's how it's, it's plugging into good people and into good things. Uh, Kevin Wilson, uh, K dub baseball is another, uh, really good friend of mine. Um, uh, you know, and, and obviously Steve Foster, major league pitching coach with Colorado. Um, we, we exchange text messages a couple of times a week with different things that have impacted us maybe during the week or, or, at some point we think about and just staying connected to having those kinds of relationships to, to foster that, that uh, growth. Steve, this has been great. Thanks for being here on the show. Uh, you've listened to this podcast, so I think you know where I'm going uh, with our last question. Uh, what is God teaching you today? What are you learning from the Lord where he has you right now in the season of life that you're in? Yeah. Um, consistency, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight talks about continuing steadfast in the work that you do. And it says at the end of that verse that know that your labor is not in vain. Mm, yeah. um, consistency, which is hard for us as human beings <laughs> in a lot of ways to be consistent. Um, and I'm, 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 I learn every day that just continue the course. I um, just recently finished the book, um, you know, Pound the Stone. Great book, and, right? Um, I just read it too this year. Yeah, and I've I gave that to my pitchers, the Stonecutters Creed. Yeah, Joshua and Metcalf, I think. Josh Metcalf, the, uh, and um, it, it it is so true. I mean, the stonecutter could could hit the stone a hundred times, but it isn't until the hundred and first time that he hits the stone that it actually breaks and yeah. gets to begin to maneuver that stone into what it is that he has as the vision. And it's true for our pitchers. Uh, they may have to do something multiple times before it actually ever happens and sticks, and then they can do it uh, repeatedly. And so the consistency factor is where, where God is, is talking to me now and teaching me now. So 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. I love it. That's Steve Merriman, uh, pitching coach for the Hartford Yard Goats, 2019 here, the AA affiliate for the Colorado Rockies. And uh, Steve, thanks, man. Thanks for being so open and willing to share your story. And certainly, uh, we'll continue to follow your baseball journey and see where it takes you. Thanks for having me, Jason. What a pleasure. Many thanks to Steve Merriman, the Hartford Yard Goats pitching coach, for joining us here on Sports Spectrum's podcast. Give him a follow on Twitter at S-M-E-R-R Bullpen. Steve Merriman at S-M-E-R-R Bullpen. He's a lot of fun. A great guy. And I'm uh, thankful that he came on this podcast to share his story and his journey on Sports Spectrum. Man, that that daddy story is just, 
it hits you because it you, it makes you question any kind of bitterness or anger that we harbor towards others who've hurt us when a guy like Steve can just walk in such grace and such a way that is loving and merciful. It's really a testament to who Steve is and what he stands for. So awesome stuff there from Steve. Thanks to him for joining us here on Sports Spectrum. We also thank you for listening. Check out our website, sportspectrum.com. You can find all of our content there. Articles all day long on the intersection of sports and faith. A devotional to get your day started right in the Lord every single morning at 6 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. And each podcast that we do, we've done 350 plus podcasts now, are all available at our website, sportspectrum.com. Thanks for listening. Make sure you click that subscribe button, whatever app you're listening to this podcast on, so that you never miss an episode of Sports Spectrum's podcast. Click that subscribe button and never miss an episode. We'll see you next time with a brand new episode here on Sports Spectrum. Have a great rest of your day.